Good morning. You can hear me okay here, yeah? All right. So first of all, uh, by way of introduction, my name is Father Nathan Reisman, and I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. I've been ordained now since 2006, so going on 18 years uh, this spring. I was a year uh, behind Father Norberto in the seminary. He was class of 05, me of 06, so I know your associate pastor well. And I'm from Burlington, so way south of here. Went to seminary in Milwaukee, was ordained, and then for a long time I was pastor in West Bend, Wisconsin, so not far. Had uh, St. Francis Cabrini there and also St. Mary's for about 13 years and loved being in parish work and loved running the schools and teaching and preaching and all those things we could do as pastors. It was great, and I loved being a priest. Then over a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half ago, the uh, archbishop asked if I would leave parish work and take on a new role in the archdiocese for him. He asked me to become the vicar for clergy for the archdiocese and one of the vicars general. So what does all that mean? So uh, vicar for clergy is a fancy term for manager. That's basically what I am. I spend most of my week at a desk managing people. And I joke that on weekends I get out for good behavior to come and pray with normal people like yourselves in the parishes. So a vicar, in canonical terms, means that one is an extension of the bishop's authority in a particular sector of diocesan life, both his authority and his, the burden of his responsibility. What is my area? He has me manage all the priests, all the deacons, the assignments, the transfers, the parish structures, the apparatus, a lot of stuff. Okay? And uh, that also means, as I've learned, that I'm the Archdiocesan Complaint Department. And as I say, there's a half million of you, and there's only one of me. So if there's a response delay, it's a math problem. It's not that I don't want to talk to you. I just can't keep up some days with all that crosses my little desk down at the pastoral center where I work next to the bishop. Bishop Sherman is in the office next to me. Bishop Haynes next to me. The Archbishop up to me. So we are all, there we are at, at, at Central Command, all right? That's what I do. So anyway, I've been at this for over a year now. And I come up here this weekend for a couple of reasons. Uh, one to talk a bit about your pastor. So I know that Bishop Sherman was up here last weekend. I sent him up because I had to go to Fox Lake. We're down a pastor out there. So I was over there with them. He came here on my behalf and he shared what I wrote up, I think for all of you, about Father Mark's status. So um, Father Mark is a wonderful man, you know, and he has a beautifully big heart and he loves all of you very, very much. But uh, back in the spring and summer and fall, I just heard a bit more about how he was doing. And I finally said, can you come see me? And he, we talked. This was in the November or so. And we talked about the fact that maybe being a pastor was a lot to have on his shoulders with his health worries. And so he told you, I think, before Christmas that come June, he wasn't going to be a pastor here anymore. So that's, that is happening. You know that. So your parishes here in North Sheboygan have been listed now to get a new pastor this coming June. So that is for sure in motion. We're praying about it right now, thinking about it right now, working on it right now. You'll have a pastor. And a couple of weeks ago, I heard that Mark's, Father Mark's health was again a little bit challenged, and so we talked, he and I, and the decision that I made was to place him on a health leave so that he could just get better. I said, Father, when you leave here, you're going to collapse in a heap. You can't go anywhere, right? You're going to have to really... Get yourself stronger, right? And he, to his good credit, agreed. So when a pastor is placed on health leave, it means that he steps back from the parish administration. It means that he's supposed to be away 
he can live here, but he's not supposed to be around because he needs some time to mend and heal up. So what you can do is pray for him and support him from afar and maybe write some notes to the office, but otherwise let him, let him be, okay? And if he tries to do something, tell him I said he can't, all right? So he has to sit. That's how it goes. Because he has been placed on administrative leave, that means that someone has to be placed in charge of the administrative structures of the parish, canonically and legally, and someone must stand in for the pastor. So I asked Mary Petrie, who many of you know, I think, if she would be in that role, and she very kindly agreed. Although there's a, there's a twist in this case, which I think Bishop explained to you last weekend. Um, the Archbishop is very aware of the needs here in Sheboygan right now up north. He knows that uh, all three parishes are trying to do the, what you can with limited resources. He knows that the school that you run is very important, and he does not want to see it placed in any kind of jeopardy. He wants all this to thrive up here. So knowing some careful decisions had to be made, he said to, well, I said, he and I together, to Mary, that we were going to place around her a team to help her from the diocese so she wasn't doing this by herself. So there are three or four folks in the central offices who she is to consult with before she makes major decisions and will be guiding the parishes together, she, I, and them, as a team through the spring. That's how we're going to do this. Father Mark will come back when he comes back. We're not putting a timeline on this. He needs to take it one step at a time. Um, and if as the spring goes on, he's just not able to, then we'll keep running as a team here with Mary and us to guide her. Uh, but for sure, though, before June, Father will have a chance to come back and at least make his farewells and to visit with you some more. So that will be down the road. We'll take that as it comes, okay? So when these things happen, I try and get up to the parishes and just explain. And I also fill in. So you're, um, you're down a priest, so here I am to say Mass for you this morning. And uh, after the game last night, I wasn't sure who would be here this morning, so... Gold star for you for getting up and coming here to Mass this morning. I appreciate it. So anyway, that's who I am. That's the situation. This is who you are, right? Hope that makes some sense. So we love you here uh, at Inshibwagen. We're going to help you with all that we can. We will guide Mary and you together with your leaders, and we're going to figure it out. That's how we're going to do it. So uh, trust that and pray for that and support that as best, best you can, okay? To the gospel, just a couple of words, because these readings are so great, I, you, I can't just give you a news report, I must talk about the scriptures, right? They are beautiful, as they always are. So we're in Mark's text. Mark's a fast-paced gospel. We're going to hear him all throughout the year on Sundays now, all the way to next, late November. And uh, what we hear today is the famous first calling of the earliest disciples of the Lord, and some of them are named. So we can ask ourselves a question early on this uh, Sunday cold morning here in Sheboygan along the, the lakeshore. Where do we fit into this gospel story? How does it apply to my life here in the pew this morning, my life and your life? I think in lots of ways, right? So maybe we can just walk into the story a little bit here. The first thing to know about the story is that uh, people sometimes think that these apostles were very different than we are. But the fact is, if one understands a bit about their life and circumstances, one realizes we are just like them. We are just like them. And when one knows that, then one knows that the stories that we hear apply to them just like they do to us. We're not different than them. Humanity never changes. We think that it does, but the fact is it's always the same. Okay? So the Lord speaks in every era because his word is eternal. 
who were these guys? They were fishermen, right? There's a misperception that because they were fishermen, they were somehow simple, uneducated, unintelligent people. That is not true. The fact is, the best way to describe them in the context of first century Palestine would be uh, small businessmen. Fishing was an industry. There was major capital. They had equipment, they had boats, they had employees, they had wives, they had families. They were situated in Galilee on the northern side of, this, of the lake where this story takes place along a major trade route called the Via Maris, which went from the sea all the way out into the eastern territories. So along their trade route, they would have had to know Greek, Latin, their own native Hebrew tongue, how to handle currency in different denominations and marketplaces. Their fish they were pulling out of the waters was traded well, well, miles and miles away along the seashore and up into the eastern territories. So they sat at a crossroads of cultures and civilizations. They were smart, and they ran a company, and they knew languages. So they were like you people here. They had homes, they had jobs, they had worries, they had concerns, so all this was on their minds. And just like all of us here this morning who want a better world, who want a peaceful world, who want a just and ordered world and the truth of goodness of the human person, they too were looking for God to intervene in a decisive way. They were looking for God to come. They were looking for the Messiah. We're here this morning because we want God to come. You wouldn't have gotten up early in the cold and dragged yourselves here to worship if you didn't believe that God mattered and that you wanted him to come and establish on this earth a kingdom of goodness and justice that lives in our hearts. So we are in the story. You here in Sheboygan are just like them in Palestine, no different. In fact, you live by the water too. You got that going for you as well, okay? This is a shipping community from days of yore, right? So since we're just like them, the next question is, well, does the call that they heard apply to us too? And the fact is, yes, it does. The Lord walks along the shoreline like he walks this morning along the shore here in Sheboygan, and he calls then and now. And he says to those first men, follow after me, come after me. Shape your entire life existence and thinking around my words and my teaching and let it adjust everything about your life. What did he ask them to do? He said to them, you're going to stop fishing for, you know, fish, and you're going to start fishing for people. You're going to go out and in my place, the Lord says, call and teach and educate, and you're going to grow the church. And the kingdom of God is going to be established on this earth. And you will preach it, and you will teach it, and you will bring it to the ends of the earth. So he calls them to follow him and grow his community. That's us here too. He calls us all this morning to follow him and to grow his church, to announce the good news, that Christ has risen from the dead, that our sins are forgiven, and that the truth of God lives in our hearts. This is an empty church today, frankly, right? I mean, this morning, I was at St. Dominic's last night. So I think if you look around, the, the fact is we have work to do growing our church. Where is everybody, right? This is the question. So this morning along the seashore, the lakeshore, God comes here and says, you have to fill this house of prayer. You have to fill the churches in Sheboygan, across the archdiocese. 
Wherever you are, you have to fill them. This is how, what we do. Now, we might say, well, that's a tall order. That's somebody else's job, isn't it? That must be my job. That's why I'm up here, right? No. Okay. We all do this, right? How does it happen? Two last things that the gospel makes clear for this to occur, for things to grow. And they're related. When the apostles, who are just like us, with their families and their lives and their cares, hear the Lord summoning them, it says in Mark's text, and also Matthew, Luke, and John, that they leave things behind. They can't stay where they are. Something must change. So they leave behind boats. They leave behind families. They leave behind occupations and their residence. This is, this is capital. These are business owners. This is like saying, if I got a car, I'm going to leave it. If I got a house, I'm going to leave it. If I have, you know, equipment, I'm going to leave it. It's a major thing to give up, right? No one does not do that if one does not believe it's important. This morning, everybody here is being asked to think about what must I leave behind to more effectively follow the Lord? And there is always something. When you think there isn't, he shows you something else. That's how he works. It's usually an attitude or some bad idea or some misperception, some idea about how things work. I think in our modern era, the Lord's inviting us to leave behind certain ideas about politics, economics, about ideologies, about pluralism and diversity, which are frankly not true anymore. He wants us as Catholics to rethink how we structure our parishes, how we cooperate with each other, how to run our institutions more effectively. I deal with this constantly in my job now. So we had to leave behind something that we don't want to let go of, and he says, you have to let it go or your church is going to keep getting emptier. And related, second piece, but right at the core of it, right? When the gospel story starts, the Lord comes to Galilee, and he says, repent. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. The gospels open with this command, you must change. Change or die. Change or die. Every Christian must get up in the morning and go to bed at night acknowledging that we are a sinful creature, me and you. Nobody is perfect. Nobody is whole. Everybody needs repentance. Everyone needs changing. And usually we get stuck on this kind of problem. We think, well, to grow the church or do this or that, we always look out there, right? Like it's somebody else's job or a program or something external or exterior. In the gospel, they said, no, 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 that's the wrong place to look, God. says, you've got to start with your heart, look in. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? And how is the Lord the only thing that can fix it? With his mercy, with his truth, with his grace, with the gospel that changes hearts, we must change. And his grace is the way to do it. And he is the Savior, and I am not, and neither are you. When we understand that we are broken and we are converted, then the churches will fill. Because our witness to a world will be, you need what we have here in these walls. So it starts with repentance. Me and you, on our knees, before God saying, fix me, before I can fix anything around me.
That's where it starts. That's awesome. Think about the privilege this morning to hear the gospel again. That the Lord walks here along the shore and says, I want you to follow me. I love you with all of my heart. And to follow me, you're going to leave things behind that you don't frankly need. You're going to change. You're going to become better people. And as you do, you will fish people in here left and right. And you'll grow the parishes in Sheboygan again. But you have got to do it in that order. Repent first. And then preach with your lives. This is the call. And we are blessed, blessed to hear it. Privileged to hear it. Here, this morning. And the town around you needs to hear it too. So repent and live it and preach it. In the name of Jesus, who is Lord forever and ever. Amen.